Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sobral. The cost of building sport infrastructure, most notably Stadia, has received greater attention in recent years. The public finances involved in building Stadia for professional sport teams has been of particular concern in the United States. And in this episode, we're going to focus on public attitudes to stadium funding. Joining us to discuss this is someone who's published a great deal on sports stadia, sustainability, and referenda. He's associate professor at Georgia State University. It's Tim Kellison. Welcome, Tim. Uh, thanks very much, Vitor. I'm uh, happy to be here. I've really enjoyed the podcast so far, following along, hearing from scholars that I've deep admiration for. So it's, it's fun to be on this side uh, just for once. Well, we're, we're very happy to have you on, and it's a privilege to talk to a fan. <laughs> this is amazing. I never That's thought right. it would happen, but uh, very exciting to hear that. that Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Tim and co-author Brian Mills recently published Voter Intentions and Political Implications of Legislated Stadium Subsidies. So, Tim, firstly, I, I want to ask a really important question, really getting to the crux of this. Is it stadiums or stadia? What are we going with? I don't know the answer. Uh, and I think if you've looked at my, you've, you've seen evolution in my, my own understanding of it. I think I've started with Stadia and thought that sounded too pretentious. So I went to stadiums to dumb it down a little bit to match my own intellect. Uh, but I probably, uh, either is fine. I've, I've had the same problem with referendums versus referenda. So I just try to stay out of the debate. Well, I went all, all highfalutin and, and went with stadium <laughs> referendum in this one. So look, it's, I, I think you're right. I think it's both. But hey, let, let's leave that debate. Um, <laughs> back to your research. Now, when I was a journalist, uh, I would always think, why don't governments just fund sports stadiums? Uh, and then doing my master's, I started thinking, why are governments funding sports stadiums? This is crazy. <laughs> um, so how does this research help us understand stadium funding and public policy? I think it, it looks at it from a, a different side. And I, there's been a, a misconception in at least my understanding. So when I first started studying this as a, as a doctoral student, I basically left with an assumption that there are uh, all these things being constructed. They're uh, first being um, subjected to referendums or initiatives that the public's voting on these. And I think in, in many ways that was informed, that perception was informed by the literature, which really focuses on referendums and initiatives and public votes. And it wasn't until later that I, I started diving in a little bit more that I realized actually referendums are more the exception than they are the, the standard, at least here in the United States, that most of the time stadiums are being constructed uh, without any direct vote by citizens. And instead, decisions are being made at the local level by you know, city council members or county commissioners, and in rarer cases, state legislators. There are several reasons for the misconception, I think. One is just the availability of data. It's easier to track voter data when there, there is such a thing versus uh, decisions that are made by local policymakers where um, you know, data are harder to collect. So I, I think one of my early attempts, at least, to try to understand, well, even if voters aren't having a direct vote on uh, a stadium issue, they still probably have feelings toward those things. So in this study, Brian and I are, are really trying to understand, one, what are people what do people think about this, uh, about the stadium project itself? But then also, what do they think about this policymaking approach um, where they don't necessarily have a direct say? And what are some of the consequences of that policymaking process? And Tim, this research is based in the case study of the Atlanta Braves Stadium. Can you tell us a bit about the background to, to what was happening there? They moved to a, a suburb outside of Atlanta and, and received funding 
that uh, through that way. And one of the reasons that they argued they needed to leave is because there wasn't the economic support uh, from the, the city of Atlanta government. To, to look at this, you, you discussed the ideas of civic paternalism and pol- policymaker vulnerability. How are these ideas related to, to stadium subsidies? So when we think about policymakers and elected officials making the decisions, I'll say on their own, it's not to say that they're just going blindly, that there is certainly political calculus in their decisions, but there are times where they are making decisions that they know will be politically unpopular or that they know would at least be controversial. So anytime you're asking for several hundred million dollars to build a a sports stadium, there's going to be some opposition. And in some cases, the opposition is much louder than those who support the development, the stadium development. So political actors probably recognize this in many ways. And sometimes that's probably the reason why they are avoiding a referendum or initiative in the first place, particularly if they're not legally obligated to to bring it, then why even ask the question um, and put themselves potentially in a position where it might be defeated? Nevertheless, they might understand this to be a a politically risky decision. And so uh, civic paternalism is at least the publicly stated defense of making those decisions that might be unpopular. Civic paternalists recognize or uh, appreciate their own expertise and acknowledge that their expertise might be greater than those of the ordinary citizen. And so they're trying to make decisions. Again, at least this is their public statement. They're making a decision that is going to be uh, in the best interests of the public, even if the public doesn't know that at the time. Now, to, to do this research, uh, you actually used a, a modified version of proxy referendum on public stadium appropriation. And I thought, yes, of course you did. And of course, I know all about that. But can you tell us <laughs> what that actually meant, how, uh, what that entailed, and, and how did you go about measuring that? Yeah, so this was a paper and pencil survey. And the proxy referendum aspect of the survey was simply... Uh, asking the question, if you had a chance to vote on this, what would you vote? Would you vote in favor or would you vote in opposition? But uh, the survey also included a large number of other items that measured whether respondents, in this case, they were voters in Cobb County where this stadium was ultimately built, whether they believed that Cobb residents at large supported the thing. So not just their own personal beliefs, but whether they thought this was something that Cobb voters in general supported um, as a whole, whether they trusted their elected officials to make these decisions, even some items related to their consumption intentions of the Atlanta Braves, the baseball team at play here. So including both the number of games they attended in the past, but also the future attendance, attendance intentions and their levels of team identification. And that was a tip of the hat to my advisor, uh, Jeff James at Florida State, who is the authority in Team ID, even though my dissertation didn't have much to do with Team ID, I still found a way to work it into my, to my research. Um, so uh, a wealth of, uh, of items covering a, a wide array of interests among Cobb voters. And because Cobb voters were our population of interest, we identified uh, about 4,000 randomly selected Cobb voters from um, a larger number of registered voters in the county and uh, sent, sent them mail surveys and asked for them to send them back, which some politely did. Yeah, I think it was, uh, it was about 400 in the end, if that's right. That's right. Um, now, when you talk about Cobb County and, and voting, the first thing I think of is John King at the, at the screen telling us about the count. <laughs> um, how, did you, how did you go about going through the data here and what did you do with the data to, to, to get your results? Uh, once the survey started trickling in, we uh, obviously put those into some usable columns and rows. 
And from there, we had developed some regression equations, and they were centered around three primary research questions. The, the first, as one might expect, uh, because it's a proxy referendum, we wanted to know, well, would people have voted in favor of this in the first place? If there was a referendum, what would the outcome be? And of course, there's a lot built into that question. Probably the biggest is that there was no campaign around this. So of course, although our, our findings showed that a small majority of people favor the stadium project with, without any type of uh, campaign, there's of course, that could have moved either way. There could have been a much larger majority in favor, or it could have moved, it could have tipped the other way. Uh, if there was a concerted, you know, political campaign by either an opposition or supporters, or in most cases, there'd be both of those. So we wanted to know to what degree Cobb residents favored the public voting or the public funding to subsidize the new ballpark. We also wanted to know what factors influenced that uh, favorability or lack thereof. And then lastly, we wanted to know, well, what are the what are some potential consequences of that favorability or unfavorability? So even though there's no vote on this, that doesn't mean that voters don't have any power or any sense of recourse if they, particularly if they don't support the, the project. We wanted to know whether there were some political outcomes associated with uh, the no vote subsidy. And after doing what you do in quantitative analysis, which if you've heard the podcast before, I don't know too much about, but once you've done all that, <laughs> what, what were the results to, to those research questions? In a similar way, I passed this along to Brian and he worked his magic as he does. And he's a, a very talented analyst. And collectively, I'll take credit for part of this. We found some, what we thought were some interesting outcomes. The first is that, like I said, a, a small majority, about just under 55% said that they would vote in favor of the stadium if they were given the chance at, at the time uh, that we collected the data. However, Probably very interesting. A uh, very interesting outcome was also that even though uh, you know a small majority voted and uh, said that they would vote in favor, a lot of people said they wish they would have had the chance to vote. So there was some satisfaction with the outcome to construct the new stadium in Cobb, but there was also some dissatisfaction with in the way that policymakers went about that decision. So then we thought well, what are the political consequences of that? And we found some pretty interesting potential implications from this and that voters who reported more extreme views on the stadium funding issue. So those who really strongly favored the funding of Truist Park, as it's called now, or those who strongly opposed it were more likely to vote in the upcoming election, the, the next election after the stadium vote, which provided some evidence we thought that stadium subsidy issues, even those that do not have a public vote on the front end, there is some potential recourse that can come to political decision makers, elected officials who are associated with the, the stadium funding. Putting it in another way, if an elected official does something or supports a stadium project that is not popular or a lot of people are unhappy with, the voters might come and get them at the next vote, at the next election. So beware the Ides of March, maybe. Not quite. The voters aren't quite the senators, but you know, <laughs> to an extent they are. No, I'm sure they, they vote them out. They come up with noise, uh, with knives. Um, uh, I think that's the really interesting results there. So Tim, how, how did this advance our understanding? What does this all mean in the end? This study, I think, for one, again, trying to take away the, or pull away one of the major implications that there's some 
some results that emerged that were different from what we've seen in previous research. And again, to go back, there's not a lot of research on this particular component of stadium subsidization, even though it is the most common way between referendums or non-referendums. So what we did find is that, uh, and I hadn't discussed this earlier, but team identification or team loyalty didn't really impact one's level of support for the stadium subsidy. So we would expect that Braves fans, by and large, would support the stadium project, particularly those in Cobb County, which would bring the stadium and the team closer to them. Uh, We didn't really see that in the data that we collected. And that we also found that, again, based on the data, that uh, elected officials, particularly those who are supporting an unpopular stadium subsidy, may be um, at risk at their subsequent re-election campaign or during their campaign. Tim, I'm going to ask you something I never thought I'd ask on this podcast anyway. What's your advice to politicians in a practical sense when they're looking at building standing, but also, of course, for sport organizations, professional sport teams, anyone who really wants sport infrastructure built for for sport events? It's a great question. I don't, it's not maybe one that you thought you'd ask, but it's one that most people I don't think really think to ask either, particularly elected officials. After all, they're going to make these decisions. Um, I'm sort of framing it as a, as a like this is a, an affront to democracy, and that's not what I intend to to do. That elected officials, particularly in representative democracies, that's they're elected to do that. They're elected to make decisions on on our behalf. This type of research and this type of project, though, does go back to the question of when we elect our officials, do we expect them just to go do things on their own and use their own expertise? Do we entrust them to make those decisions? Or do we delegate them to make the decisions uh, uh, in the way that we want them to? So we retain our right as citizens to to involve ourselves in democratic decisions. So in the absence of a public vote, what sort of recourse does a voter have in these types of decisions? And for elected officials, from their perspective, we do think that there is an, a clear incentive for them to know whether their decisions are popular. There's This is not just from our study. There's just common sense, but also previous research, which it's good when those are aligned, uh, an unpopular position on what is seen as high importance policies can hurt policymakers in their attempts to be reelected. So there are political uh, implications associated with decisions that are made, even when the public doesn't have a, uh, a direct vote. For teams and for sport managers, there's also incentives in knowing whether the decisions that they're making, whether they are directly involved. In this case, the Braves, they were sort of on the fringes of the decision-making process. Certainly I'm sure behind closed doors, I'm sure they were, uh, you know, they had a several seats at the table, but for the most part, this was a, a campaign led by Cobb policymakers. And so the Braves tried not to get too um, too much into the, at least the political uh, swamp. So uh, there is still an incentive though, though for them to understand what you know their potential customer base thinks about a new stadium. And the Cobb stadium and the, this whole Cobb case is full of idiosyncrasies. It's, it's unusual for lots of reasons that it, uh, it was a stadium that was built in downtown Atlanta and unlike most of the other stadiums in the United States, they moved to the suburbs now versus 30 or 40 years ago when that's that was more common. Now stadiums are moving back downtown. And this really did the opposite. And it's uh, it was unusual for that reason. It was also unusual because it, the stadium that it moved from was about 20 years old at the time. So this case was going to get a lot of attention for lots of different reasons. It was not a 
we have lots of new stadiums being constructed in the United States. Every city is is dealing with this at some point in the in the past ten years or the next ten years. So these are not unusual, but. In this case, uh, the Cobbs case, the the Truist Park, the Braves Stadium is unusual for lots of different reasons. And for that reason, data are really valuable, whether you need it to inform your decisions or not. There's a lot of takeaways that can be gathered from from this type of research. So Tim, it really seems like both politicians, elected officials, and sport managers need to understand and, and take and consider public opinion when they're looking at building sport infrastructure. Yeah, you know, when you say it out loud, it sounds very obvious, but the reality is, uh, in many cases, these decisions are made so quickly and without at least uh, apparent implications that, you know, if, if voters can't have a direct say or don't have a direct say, we can move this quickly and without a lot of uh, consequence. But there, there are implications, and uh, our research is, has, has demonstrated that in, in some ways, there's a lot more work to be done in this area. Uh, this is um, really an initial effort, and we're really excited to to see where this can go, particularly not just from our own research and our own um, explorations into other cities and, and other places, but also from other scholars who um, might have different ideas or different ways of approaching this, this line of research. Well, considering that, I'm not going to take up any more of your time because you've got to get back to, to working on this. But uh, thanks so <laughs> much, Tim. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and really fascinating important research, I think, for for sport organizers and, of course, public officials. Yeah, and likewise, thanks very much for having having, uh, me on. And um, I'm glad you've recognized the importance. Uh, Hopefully, uh, it's not just uh, you, me, and and Brian, and and maybe there will be some um, attention from our elected officials moving forward. I have no doubt you'll get plenty of clicks on the article now. Thanks so much, Tim. (laughs) Thank you. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. At the Sport Management Review website, you'll find all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, Voter Intentions and Political Implications of Legislated Stadium Subsidies. That's it for this episode, but of course, there's plenty more you can download to your favorite podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.